Events in the world that have unfolded this month with unimaginable fury, cruelty, desperation, and despair have prompted me to create this episode. Welcome once again to Therapy Thoughts. I'm your host, Dr. David Alter. In this episode, I'll be addressing an element on horrible display in the current round of the seemingly unending rounds of conflicts consuming people, cities, and cultures with an insatiable appetite that puts the worst of humanity on vivid display. Because this podcast is called Therapy Thoughts, I'll be extracting from the events on the global stage what, of course, begins with what resides in each of us, for better or worse. The world didn't create the capacity to revert to black-white, either-or, polarizing thinking. We bring that type of thinking into the world each day, and thankfully, we can also learn to bring forward more human and more humane mindsets. I am, of course, talking about the events in the Middle East that have already spilled over to cover much of the world. We don't only find the coarse ugliness of humanity on display in southern Israel and Gaza. For more than a year, we have borne witness to similar horrors in the villages, towns, and cities of eastern Ukraine. These violent conflicts display the dangers that accrue when we multiply aspects of human nature, the need to belong and fit in, the common view that in order for us to get what we need and deserve, we must take from the other what we perceive they have that's rightfully ours, the capacity to objectify the other in ways that deprive them of their inborn humanity and their innate similarity to us when we look beyond their skin color, their faith, their cultural narrative, or even their past behavior, to energetically adopt a scarcity mentality that assures that we believe that there's not enough for us both and that our only path forward to assuring that we get what we need is to make certain we can take from them what they have including their lives, their hopes, and their dreams. Whether on the world stage or in our own homes and individual lives, when these deeply ingrained patterns of thinking, feeling, and functioning are activated, other ingrained capacities for tolerance, forgiveness, complexity, curiosity, patience, and compassion go out the window. The late Paul Wellstone, a senator from Minnesota, once said, We all do better when we all do better. Can there be any simpler way of describing a shared, collective, and collaborative philosophy for bettering the world we share than that simple phrase? And yet, our capacity to live by that creed is tested every day. It's overlooked or entirely abandoned in the face of perceived insults and slights that have been nursed right along until giving birth to bitterness, resentment, feelings of unjustified humiliation, and rage that spawns our search for opportunities to get them back, to get what we 
deserve to retrieve whatever it is that we perceive to be rightfully ours. And we can pursue this with an ugly determination and tenacity that is blind to the losses that we and the other suffer. I can't tell you how many couples I've counseled who remain embroiled in embarrassingly expensive divorces in their single-minded determination to get what they deserve or to inflict that lack of deservingness on their once greatest love. The only guarantee in these situations, when they persist, is what used to be invoked during the height of the Cold War when mutually assured destruction, which went by the acronym MAD, M-A-D, to prevent the U.S. and the Soviet Union from destroying the world with their nuclear missiles. So what gives? From where does the seemingly bottomless abyss of ugliness arise? While it is too simple to say it's rooted in our evolutionary past, there are essential truths in that statement we would do well to better appreciate. Let's start with a bit of scientific evidence about our brain's perceptual system. In the study that I'm thinking about, subjects were presented with a complex visual scene that contained within it a mix of neutral, positive, and unpleasant or darker elements. The subjects were hooked up to equipment that tracked where on the scene their eyes focused. When the subjects were in positive mental states, their eyes naturally and even unconsciously drifted toward the neutral or positive aspects of the scene. But when they were in anxious or depressed states of mind, the subject's eyes saw the dangerous, dark, or threatening parts of the scene. What's especially intriguing to me is that their eyes took in what their mind's outlook predicted. In short, we perceive what we expect. We aren't objectively taking in what the world is actually like, what's actually out there in the world. We are only reinforcing what we believe to be there. When we perceive the other as bad, as threatening, and as lacking the humanity we believe ourselves to have, that is, in fact, what we see. The horrible implication played out on countless cable channels across the globe every second is that based upon those expectations and perceptions, we can be moved to act on those beliefs with devastating consequences. Similarly, we can, and often do, act on our perceptions of our partners, friends, family, co-workers, and communities, and even how we act toward ourselves. In his book, Bewilderment, Richard Powers said, the world is an experiment in inventing validity, and the conviction is its only proof. Let's think about that for a moment. We live in a world of incredible complexity, a world of incredible interconnectedness. In fact, 
It is so complex that the brain actively filters and shapes what we perceive through our five senses and combines it with what we already know. In other words, to perceive the world and the people in it, we are strongly influenced by what we already know or believe we know about them. When what we've experienced includes emotionally intense experiences, which we can categorize under the umbrella term wounds, those perceptions become, as Richard Powers said, convictions. We become convinced of our perceptions, failing to appreciate that we aren't perceiving what is actually out there, but a mix of what is out there, what we have personally experienced before, what we've been taught to believe, and what we therefore predict in a highly self-convincing way that what we perceive is the truth. And boy, do we love to act out of a sense of self-righteousness that reinforces our actions based on our deeply held but potentially faulty and even fatal convictions. In my work with clients, I will sometimes talk about the four S's of our attention system and how that intersects with the three S's of our social connection system. Let's define the terms. Mental attention involves the ability to select, that's number one, something of relevance from the universe of potentially relevant stimuli. Then we invoke the ability to sustain, that's S number two, our focus on that stimulus while simultaneously suppressing, that's number three, and comp uh, any competing or distracting stimuli long enough for us to carry out or implement a course of action. Then, when completed, we activate the fourth S, which involves the capacity to shift our attention to something new that takes center stage in what matters next. At the same time, our social connection system is always on the lookout for whatever supportive evidence there is of the three S's of safety, security, and stability. This trio constitutes the essential core of healthy attachment and connection. When we don't feel that, when our history is characterized by numerous experiences involving betrayal, loss, abuse, abandonment, humiliation, and shame or rejection, whether we're talking about individuals or nation states, our attention systems become fixed on selecting what reinforces our need for safety or more often what generates the perception of a lack of safety, security, or stability. In such a state of mind, again, individually or nationally, will actively suppress anything that attempts to shift our focus to something more neutral or positive. Returning once more to Richard Powers, he asks, what is grief? He responds by saying that grief is the world stripped of something that you admire.
how powerful and compelling when our basic human need for safe, loving, affirming, validating, secure and stable connections to others with feeling loved by someone and being able to love them in return, when that is stripped away from the world, what remains, what's left behind is desolate, devoid of compassion, emptied of hope and trust, and what remains is a sorry emotional wasteland as scarred as the southern Israeli towns of Kfar Aza, Be'eri, or the Gazan town of Beit Hanun. In her poem, The Brain is Wider Than the Sky, written in 1863, Emily Dickinson wrote, The brain is wider than the sky, for put them side by side, the one will contain with ease and you beside. The brain is deeper than the sea, for hold them blue to blue, the one the other will absorb as sponges, buckets do. In this poem, Emily Dickinson captures the infinite capacity of the brain and mind to create possibilities that are not yet in existence or apparent, to envision what may not yet appear but to work to bring what isn't yet into the here and now present. To me, this is the mission we face today. In my view, it's incumbent upon us to recognize that what is transpiring now across the globe is a narrow view of the positive and good in what we are capable of being. We can and should resist this self-limiting view. We can ask each other, especially those who hold different views from our own, tell me more about what I seem to not understand. Help me to see beyond my own limited experience. Teach me about your experience and please invite me to help you to more clearly see mine. Assist me in recognizing that anything less than a wider perspective is necessarily filled with blind spots. And furthermore, that it is essential to a deeper appreciation of what we can co-create through co-collaboration to be able to fill in those blind spots. What is needed is a belief in the innate dignity and foundational worthiness of people. Even Anne Frank, in one of the last entries to her famous diary, written while hiding in an attic to escape the Nazis, and just prior to being captured by the Nazis and sent to her death by them, said, It's really a wonder that I haven't dropped all my ideals because they seem so absurd and impossible to carry out. And yet I keep them because in spite of everything, I still believe that people are really good at heart. I look forward to connecting with you again soon in our next episode of Therapy Thoughts. Thanks for tuning in and take care.